You're listening to Life and Leadership, a podcast designed to connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow. And now your host, Daniel Kitchell. Welcome everyone to Life and Leadership. This is Pastor Daniel. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. Well, as you know, this show is located wherever you listen to your music, your books, or your podcasts. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, Player FM, wherever you go, you'll find us there. And we hope when you go there that you will click the like button. You'll also subscribe and leave us a review. Those are great ways to get the message out about this show, and it really helps a lot. You can also go to danielkitchell.com, and from there, you can listen to all the past shows. Check out show notes, links to all the guests I've talked to. We'd love you to visit danielkitchell.com. Well, as we begin today's show, I'd like to share a story with you. 33 years ago this month, I became a Christian. I was only 11 years old, but I remember that day much like it happened just a few hours ago because it was so real to me. Some friends of mine from church had invited me to go on a weekend retreat with them and stay a few nights, and and I went. I didn't really know a whole lot about God. I'd been going to church a little bit, and I was curious, but didn't really know what to think about much of it at all. But during that weekend, God used the pastor and the youth pastor and my friends and conversation and music and prayer just to change me and reveal himself to me. But God also just showed me a lot about myself. And when I came home from that retreat that weekend, I was never the same. I remember that cold February weekend in 1989 and before we left to go back home, I I walked behind the cabin of where we were staying and I sat on the air conditioning unit there all by myself. And I just prayed this really sloppy, <laughs> sporadic prayer to God. I don't remember a whole lot about what I told him. I just know that when I got done praying that I was different and that things had changed within me. I know I told God that I loved him and that I wanted him in my life and that I believed in Jesus and that Jesus died for my sins and I wanted to be forgiven and I wanted to change. And then I just begged God to help me do good stuff. <laughs> That's what I asked God to do. I remember saying, God, just help me do good things. Help me not do bad things. And I just think about me being 11 years old and praying that messy prayer that God heard and a prayer that changed my life forever. And here I sat 33 years later and behind this microphone talking to you, sharing that story. And I just want to share one thing I've learned about my faith in Jesus. And, and it's this, my faith in him is a relationship. And oftentimes it's not perfect. And I say that because I'm the one that makes it very imperfect God brings perfection to the table. I bring imperfection. And so many times in my walk with Christ over the years, I've had really long seasons of strong faith and I've had long seasons of weak faith. And there's been times in my walk with him where I've been very disobedient and times when I've been really obedient and times of intense joy and incredible sorrow. But what I've learned through all of it is that 
It's a relationship. And no matter what I do or no matter what kind of mood I'm in or what type of season I'm in, I've always known that God is beside me and that he's walking with me and he loves me. And it's just always in the back of my mind, God always knocking on my heart, pulling me to him, telling me that he loves me and being incredibly patient with me. I think a lot of times in life, we, we just have this really strange view of God that he's just this angry God that just waiting for us to mess up and waiting for us to uh, do something dumb. And he's just going to take us out when we do that. But that's just not who he is. He loves us deeply. That 11-year-old boy that prayed that prayer, I was changed forever. And here I am at 44 years old almost, and God continues to work in my life. Even when I'm stubborn, even when I'm disobedient, God still loves me. God is for me, and God wants what's best for me. And because God wants what's best for us, he often sends people our way to help guide us and lead us and be a light during dark times. And throughout the course of these last three decades of my walk with Jesus, God has done that multiple times for me. My guest today is named Tom Williams, and he's been one of those lights for me. He's been a spiritual father. He's a man that I turn to when I need prayer or I want to answer a question about the scriptures or I just want to be encouraged. I look up to him greatly. Tom has a great love for prophecy in the Bible and knows so much about it. He believes that we're living in some very, very special times. He's going to talk a lot about that. But at the heart of all of it, Tom is a father. He's a husband. He's a friend. He's a grandfather. He's just another man that is broken and wants to follow Jesus and wants to help other people. You're going to love Tom. His conversation is going to capture you and pull you in, and you'll be changed by it forever. Here is my interview with Tom Williams. Tom, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you joined me today. Well, thank you for having me, Daniel. I really don't understand why, but maybe the <laughs> Lord does. Oh, I promise you, he's going to use you and your story. Uh, I'm excited about talking with you. Uh, you've been a great friend of mine for so many years. As I've described you as a spiritual father, to a large part of my life. And I'm just grateful for that. And I know that God is going to really speak through you today and through our conversation. It's like I just described it to you before we hit record here. We're just going to act like we're having a cup of coffee and talk through this and let God just use it. So it's been a, it's been quite the year for your family and very, very unexpected things that you've had to go through. And I want to spend the, the first half of our interview talking about this last year I'm going to let you take us through some of the things you've gone through. And um, there's obviously been some incredibly tragic things that have happened, some dark moments, but um, you've also made it through it. And we're going to talk about how you got, got through it. And so I want to just take our audience to uh, one of the most um, sobering nights of my life in ministry. Uh, you and your wife had last December, both had gotten COVID. Correct. Uh, yeah. You were very ill and, just couldn't shake it. You know, you were trying everything to shake it. Uh, just kept getting worse and worse. And I, I believe it's probably fair to say that Annette was a little more sick than you were. Mm -hmm. I and, think so. Yeah. And uh, just kind of kept going downhill and downhill. We were all very worried. 
about you. And I know we got Annette to the hospital at one point because she was just not improving. Oxygen levels were low, um, just fever really high. And upon getting her to the hospital, I believe it was a few hours into being there, if I'm correct, she had her first of how many strokes? The first of three strokes. First of three strokes. And you yourself, um, you're back at home and you're dealing with your own illness and fever and breathing problems. And I remember uh, this moment succinctly when I'm kneeling at your bed in the dark. It's late at night. Had to wake you up and had some other leaders in our church standing with me at your bedside. And we had to tell you that uh, your wife has had a massive stroke. I just have that memory burned forever into my mind of telling you that. And I don't even remember exactly what you said. I, I just know that moment was a heavy one as you're wondering about your own well-being and then your wife's away from you at the hospital. You can't see her. You can't be with her. And you find out she has a stroke. And so I just want you to take us to that moment and walk us through some of the things you were feeling. Okay. I'm going to try to do this without getting too emotional. We, we both had a bad case of COVID. There's no question about that. Uh, yeah. My daughter came in from Kansas City to help us out, and she just insisted that Annette go to the hospital. Neither one of us wanted to go to the hospital because we've heard some of the horror stories of what were going on with the remdesivir and the way they were treating patients. But uh, we had the understanding that if we had to go, we did not want to take the drug remdesivir. So she went ahead and went that afternoon, and she had not been there for, I don't think, maybe an hour yeah. uh, before she had her first stroke. So they immediately transferred her from there to Oklahoma University Hospital, which yeah. is much more in the neurology department. And they had a successful surgery on the first one. And then two days later, she had a second clot in the same area mm. that probably caused more damage in the first one. And then about a week after that, she had a third stroke, and this one was a brain bleed stroke. Mm. So going back to the story that Daniel was telling, I, I, I got to find some humor in that because I was sick laying in the bed when all this was going on. I did not know about her first stroke. Yeah, Daniel had heard about it. And frankly, I think he was scared to come in and tell me by himself. Mm, was. There was no <laughs> doubt about it. So he gathered up the elders of the church, which was wonderful. But when the elders of the church came in, you got to take this picture in mind. I'm laying in my bed. I'm sick. I've just been awakened by uh, people walking into my room. Right. And I look up and there's a handful of elders and Daniel standing there with masks on their face. Uh. And I'm thinking, oh, man. this is a nightmare. What in the <laughs> oh, world are they doing here? And uh, then they gave me the news that my wife had had a, a terrible stroke. And mm. I just remember, what can I do? I've got to do something. What can, and there was absolutely nothing I could mm. do. I was totally powerless over that, that situation. Well, they insisted that I go to the hospital as well because my fever was high and I was having low oxygen rate. Yeah. So reluctantly, I did that, and I look back on that, and I'm glad I did. I got what I needed. I got uh, a tank of oxygen. I spent one night in the hospital and could not get out of there fast enough. <laughs> but I came home with my oxygen tank and, and was able to recover. But another part of that nightmare was that I could not go see my wife mm -hmm. because I, too, had COVID. 
So she was in university hospital. She was in the critical care unit and, and the COVID unit. Uh, and the reports were not good. So I was really at a loss. And what do we do when we're at a loss and we're powerless? Yeah. We better have Christ in our life. Amen. Because that is what made the difference for me, that I had nothing else to do except to pray. Mm. And regardless of the outcome, we both have the attitude that we've lived a good life. Uh, We know what the end will bring. And if it's the end, it's the end. So I know that sounds kind of fatalist, but the point is that we were okay if one of us passed away. Mm. And then I really thought that that was it for her. I oh, I know. I was going to go. Well, and I'll take it just a step further, brother. I mean, I, I was ready to do both of your funerals. Like yeah. that's what I prepared my heart to do. I was, I had, I remember sitting in your driveway and praying to God, uh, in those cold nights when you were in here sick and she was in the hospital and you were separated from each other. And I remember just praying for both of you, but having the thought in my head that I'm going to be doing my first ever double funeral that was truly worried that both of you were not going to make it. And from that perspective, as your friend and as your brother and your pastor, I mean, it was just, uh, it was a, it was a dark, hard season. Well, it definitely was for us. Yeah. So much of it is kind of a fog Mm. because of the illness itself, but slowly we started coming through that. Uh, I remember about a year ago, matter of fact, exactly a year ago at this time, uh, my wife had been in ICU. She finally got released from ICU after, uh, I think it was going on two weeks. They put her in a private room, uh, for two days Hmm. and then they told me that she had to be transferred out to a rehabilitation center because she still had a vent in her uh, doing the breathing for and they were feeding her through that and they did not want to take out the feeding tube because they didn't know she was able to swallow Hmm. she's completely paralyzed on her right side So we looked at the different units available, and there was one in Shawnee that uh, we decided we'd go to because it was at least close by, and they would allow visitors, Mm. and that was a big deal at the time. So we did that, and she was out there for, goodness, another two weeks, I guess. Right. uh, Maybe a little longer, but there was not much happening. Now, I will say, uh, to give you an example of how strong Annette is (laughs) – we we transferred her out there, and the first night they had her on watch right there with the nurses' station window. You like literally five yeah. inches from they, her. They can they can watch her all night. Yeah. So we get a call later that night that she has pulled the vent out herself. Uh, now keep in mind she's paralyzed on her right side. Uh. She can't move her right arm or her right leg, but she reaches over with her left arm pulls the vent out herself Mm. and they called me wanted to know what should we do should we put it back in (laughs) and i said absolutely (laughs) not she's sick of it that's why she pulled it out that's right don't mess with the net so the next step of that phase was okay can she swallow and Mm. they didn't know if she could or not and uh so they put a feeding tube in her stomach and Mm. it was just some some very traumatic times 
She showed little or no recovery while she was there. Her right side continued to be paralyzed, and they were about to send her home. Well, I'm thinking, okay, how are we going to handle this? Mm. I start looking for uh, lifts that lifts the patient out of the bed and somehow gets them to the bathroom and you know right. just basic needs that we didn't have here. And it was some scary times. I even looked at uh, uh, automatic engine lift that I could rig up <laughs> over oh over God. the bed. <laughs> Uh, so, cause, yeah. cause she couldn't do it herself. Right. So they were telling me that because she had not responded and she was still paralyzed on both her right arm and right leg that, uh, they just have to send her home. A rehab unit would not take her in that, in that situation. Right. The last day we were at the Shawnee rehab, she moved her right foot. Wow. Just a little bit. little twitch. And I just started jumping up and down with joy and <laughs> praising God. And I went and got the oh. nurse, and I said, look at this, look at this. <laughs> and she did it again. Oh. And because of that movement, mm. she was allowed to go to another rehab center that she just took off in her yeah. recovery. So that's kind of where we were at that time. Oh, Rips out her vent tube. Yeah. And that, that if you, you all that, you know, listening, you don't really know Annette or some of you do, they're listening, but this is, this is the, uh, strong-willed, very eloquent, um, independent Annette. And we, while we were shocked by her vent removal, <laughs> we were not surprised by it in the sense of her having the will to do that. And, uh, and I, I love your response of, you better not put that back in because he's probably going to fight you or whatever. So she goes to this other rehab uh, facility where she d- makes some gigantic strides. Just there. gigantic strides. She went to one that was uh, more up to date. Uh, she was at that point in her recovery where they weren't sure they were going to accept her. And when she got there, they weren't real sure just exactly how they could treat her because she's still paralyzed. But they start working with her diligently every day. And she had uh, occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech therapy, all three every day uh, for at least five days a week, sometimes Mm -hmm. more. Uh, And I had the physical therapist tell me after she was there for about a week and still couldn't move around much on her own, she said, your wife is going to walk out of here. Mm. Oh my gosh. And I just said, no way. Uh. And by <laughs> God, she did. By the time she left, she was walking with the help of a walker. Mm. And we came home and started rehab. And of course, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what do I need to do now? She's still not fully recovered. She can't walk. She Will she be wheelchair bound? I ordered these ramps for my <laughs> home. I had a long ramp and a short ramp and all this other stuff. That, yeah. You know, oh, we're going to need this. We got to have, <laughs> well, by the time she got home, she was walking on her yeah. own. I mean, we didn't need any of that. Thank the Lord. Yeah. I know you were talking about like a full conversion of your bathroom at one point. Oh, yeah. You know, for absolutely. a wheelchair. I even had a contractor yeah. out to take a look at it and say, what, this is what we need to do on a, walk-in shower where she doesn't have to step up or, you know, and yeah. just all this planning and stuff that I didn't need to do. You know what I needed to do? I needed to wait on the Lord, Yeah, but I have trouble doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so she was in the rehab um, there and where she made these, you know, just huge leaps and, in recovery, she still she still during that whole time is not able to really speak or communicate very right. well. Physically, she's she's making major major progress. I know there was a point at that rehab at one time where you um, you had to basically observe from a distance. They had basically made a net fall on the ground in the middle of the room, and she had to prove that she could get up on her own. Right? Tell me about that. That was that was just torture. Uh, yeah, the physical therapist. We are getting ready to go home within the next week, so she is preparing us for this. And she mm. said, first of all, we're going to learn how to get in and out of a vehicle." So we did that practice, and that was that was. They have like a practice vehicle. In they there. had a practice vehicle wow. in there, so they they practiced that. And then she said, "Now, I want you to get on the ground like you have fallen, mm. face down, and s- just get up on your own." And I thought, she can't do that. I mean, she's still paralyzed here. She, there's no way she can do that. And the physical therapist really had to restrain me from helping her because this was just a helpless scene. Mm. But she managed to get herself over to the wheelchair, pull herself up with her good arm, get on one knee, and then pull herself up with the rest of the way it's incredible and it took quite a while mm. and let me tell you something it was hard to stand and watch oh man i imagine but it just showed her her resilience absolutely and, and determination i've never seen anybody work so hard in recovery wow mm. so she she gets home all these ramps she bought on amazon and <laughs> <laughs> all these thoughts you have about converting your bathroom, they're just kind of thrown out the window because she, she walks into your house yeah. and, and just begins this other, I would describe it as a, a, a different era of her treatment. She's here with you. She's, uh, she's working with a, a therapist that's helping her with her speech constantly. She's working with you on the iPad to learn different words again and how to make different sounds and all of that. And, there's no doubt that she's made some incredible progress there in, in her speech, but you know, it's still, it's still a struggle, you know, and I know that, you know, you've been married to Annette for, you know, 47 years and the wife that could talk you out of a room and could get up in front of a hundred, hundreds of people and speak and share, can't tell you what she wants to drink, yeah, you know, or what's wrong. And, and, and that was, and still is one of the most difficult things we deal with. Yeah. And I don't think people really understand that based on my understanding, because I had none on aphasia mm. and aphasia is a part of the brain that was so affected through her strokes. It's the left frontal hemisphere of the brain. That is the speech area. Right. So what happens there is that, The patients responded well as far as physically. Uh, She's recovered um, better than I ever thought she would physically. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on the aphasia part, I had it described to me as is if you had a well-organized filing cabinet in your office. Right. Someone broke in your office and turned all the files upside down and scattered them on the floor. That when we get ready to speak and those words come automatically for us, for the aphasia patient, 
they have to scramble through that pile on the floor to find the right word that they want to speak, and then they have to get it out of their mouth. Mm. And it's a very difficult task for them. So mm. we basically just start over just like you would uh, a child as they wow. speak. And, you know, knowing what was and what is now, and that, that was the heart of my question, just uh, seeing how articulate your wife um, was at one point. And, and I, I don't think that there's any doubt that things are never going to be the same for her. But I just have this sensing that she's going to get there someday, somehow, to where we start seeing those old pictures and, and images of Annette just come to life again. And I've seen it, you know, slowly, but I've seen it. I walk in your door and she says, hey, Daniel, I love you. Um, she made me a cup of coffee a few weeks ago with that hand that used to be paralyzed. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, but what is your optimism about her recovery and um, what's your hope and expectation for her going forward? Well, my hope and expectation is that I get my wife back, mm. meaning the person she was. Now, the reality of that, you stated, well, I don't know that it'll ever be the same. Mm. Is anything ever the same as right. we really look at life? But that <clears throat> the way she is improving and the way she works at her improving, mm. uh, yeah, she's going to get better. Mm. She's going to get better, and she's going to – my expectations is that she's going to regain a confidence that has been lost. Because oh, wow. If we look at what has happened here and, and how difficult it is for her to communicate, really that just strips us of our personality. It strips us of our confidence. Mm. And that's one of the reasons that she's been very reluctant to go back to church. Yeah. She loves church. She loves everybody at the church. But it's uncomfortable for her. Right. And I made her that promise that, mm. hey. I don't want to put you in any uncomfortable situation. When you're ready, you'll be ready yeah. and you'll let me know. Right. And you, you've told me that the day will, will come when uh, she does come back to church and because she has a story to tell. Amen. <laughs> Lord has a testimony that is in that woman that she's got to share with other mm. people. And she'll do it. She I just will. have all the confidence in that. And we start our day with that. You know, we, we pray for her complete and total recovery. Now, mm. what does that look like? I don't know yet, but I know it's a lot greater than it is today. Yeah. And it's great today. Mm. It's, a, it's amazing. So it's encouraging. Right. Did you, um, did you ever doubt God in all this? Daniel, I didn't. Mm. I stood firmly on his promises. Mm. And I say that because I think it has to do with what we've been through before. Right. Uh, Annette and I lost our oldest child a few years back. That's a difficult thing to go through. Sorry. Great, brother. Uh, we love you. But that, you know, do we blame God or do we accept God for who he is? And I know through that venture that he has our greater good in mind and that if I did not have my belief in the Lord today, 
I don't know how I would have made it through this. I don't know how any of us would have made it through something like this. Mm. So that's where I put my faith. That's where, that's where I find rest. Mm. Because sometimes it's very difficult doing that. It changes not only her life, but it changes the caregiver's life in a way that the things that I used to do and love doing, I don't do anymore. Yeah. So there's that side of that. Yeah, it's all her yeah. every day. Yeah. Yeah. Caring for her. Well, I, I hope for our listeners out there to, you know, I, I've in the ministry that I've been in for the better part of, you know, almost 20, 23, 24 years. And I've seen a lot of people go through a lot of things and I've watched Tom and his wife uh, go through a lot and the, the passing of their, their daughter suddenly to all the sickness that's been around them the last year. And for, for you listening today, I hope that Tom's response in the sense of, you know, did you ever doubt God? And it's just, no, I didn't. And because you don't feel like you have any other hope apart from that is it just, um, it speaks to me greatly. And I think sometimes in the midst of our suffering, we want to know where God is and, know the beauty of is we have a God that suffered and he knows and he understands and he's with us and he carries us through. He carries us through. Any other thoughts on that at all, brother? Well, he definitely carries us through. Uh, the only other thought I have on it is that, uh, anyone that has, that is, or has experienced anything difficult in their life, we have a choice and a choice is to blame God and run away from it mm. or just allow God to be part of it. Now, do we understand why good things happen or bad things happen to good people? No, I don't think so. There might be someday that we do understand that, but if for no other reason, it's to share our testimony of what we're walking through that might help others and draw them closer to the Lord. Yeah. Wow. I had this thought I'm I'm sitting in Tom's uh dining room with him recording this and uh just off to the side of the dining room is a is a couch area and chairs and when Tom was really sick I uh would stay here overnight and help look after him while his wife was in the hospital I'm just thinking about that was about a year ago and I slept in this room through that suffering and now here we are recording this talking about <laughs> how you made it through it and it's just, it's pretty sobering, you know, to think about it because I, I was really, really afraid of the alternative that was a, maybe looming for us. And I'm just grateful you're here to share your story um, from the last year. Um, what you think about a day for you, you know, you're here caring for your wife and it's a, it's a 24 hour day job. She's very independent, but she still needs you. She's comfortable with you here. It makes her feel safe. It's a beautiful thing, but what's what's a good day like for you and Annette? Okay, before we get to that question, <laughs> I'm going to go back a little. Okay, bit. go ahead. And I just I'm going to try to embarrass Daniel a little <laughs> bit here. He was talking about sleeping on the couch. Not only was he sleeping on the couch, I woke up one morning and sitting in my bedroom is Daniel folding my clothes 
where he had washed a load of clothes. Now, have you got a pastor that would wash your clothes and fold them for you? I'm just asking you. If it weren't for the Cross Church of Norman and the leadership that we have from Pastor Daniel, we would not know where to turn. So I am just putting that plug in for you, brother. Now, what was was your question? That was not a part of the notes. So I, I, I'm humbled by your comments and I did fold your underwear. So, but um, anyway, you'll never live it down, my friend, but we, we're all in this together, you know, and that's the way I look at it. I, I'm, we're, we're family and we stick together through the good and the bad. I, my question was just simple, you know, it's a, what's a good day like around here with uh, recovery and, and, you know, helping the net get stronger and what's it look good day like? Well, a good day is when we see something we haven't seen before in recovery. Mm. Uh, meaning we start off every day. We start off with prayer. We read a meditation book. We read scripture. But before we even start that, Annette recites the Lord's Prayer. Mm. She also recites the Serenity Prayer. Now, that's kind of an indicator for me what kind of day we're going to have. Yeah. Because someday she can do it without fault. I mean, just go right through it with no problem at all. Other days she'll stumble here and there. Mm. But trying to put sentences together is what we're working on right now. Mm. And a good day is when just out of the blue, she says a complete sentence. Mm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Just totally blown away. Now, if you're not involved with a recovery like that, you think, oh, big deal. Well, this is a big deal. And, yeah. and it's the little steps that make the difference and the encouragement from one another. But, yeah, that's a good day for me. That's good. Little things make make for a great day. What what's the what are days of difficulty like? Mm. I mean, what's, a, what's the hardest thing about this, truly? Uh, two step day-to-day. forwards, yeah. one step back mm-hmm. uh, that you might – wake up one day and it's like uh, everything that you thought you had progressed on the day before is not there. Yeah. Uh, And a bad day for me uh, comes back to, when it comes back to my selfishness, then maybe I want to do a little self-loathing that uh, I want to wallow around and and feel sorry for myself. And that does not work. Yeah. Uh, That is, that is a bad day. Yeah. And usually, if a day like that happens, it's because I didn't spend enough time in prayer that morning or some little thing got off track or I got up and got busy before I took time to do that. So there's a reminder there for me that at any time during a bad day, I can pause, Mm. I can pray and I can start over. Yeah. How do you not, I mean, how do you not self-loathe? I mean, I, I think we're all, man, I, I can do that. I like to lick my own wounds and pout and throw my own pity parties at times. And I'm only, the only one that shows up to those parties usually. <laughs> but, but I mean, uh, it's so easy sometimes to loathe and, and really feel sorry for yourself. And, and I think that anybody listening would think, man, anybody's, Tom's got the right to, you know, feel a little bad and loathe, but you don't. And you, when you do, you fight through it and, What's the key to that? Well, I just believe that's that's a direct attack of the enemy. Mm. That if I'm going to get into feeling sorry for me, and I do it all the time, don't get me wrong, but 
I don't like it. It's a bad day for me when I do that because I want to blame others for what's mm-hmm. going on. And, you know, we've just had a recent transition and thank God we have, but my daughter and son-in-law have moved into the house with us right. to help out. And we have the most wonderful six-year-old grandson that is just a complete joy to be around. But that that change alone brought stress uh, because it's it's different than what it was before. Uh, you now have a house full of people that, uh, you know, you can focus on their behavior and not like what you see and then get real uh, irritated with little things that don't make yeah. any difference at all. And that is my worst enemy because I will do that. And <laughs> I, I kind of feel sorry for my wife because I'll go back there and unload on her <laughs> and she can't say anything about it. <laughs> she just gives you the look. <laughs> she gives me the look. Yeah, Tommy, stop that. But she's always agreed with me. That's the best <laughs> part about it. But truly, that that is just, uh, I believe, an assault from the enemy yeah. because I'll focus on all the things that really don't matter. Yeah, that's really good. I like the way you that's a a great immediate response. I mean, that's an enemy tactic, feeling bad for yourself, Absolutely. not wanting to find any joy in the midst of the sorrow. Um, so kind of a hard question, but, you know, Annette, I think when I converse with Annette around you and have small conversations with her, I think that she understands most everything you're talking about. She's taking in the conversation, but, she can't contribute verbally, but I think she's contributing emotionally and with her presence and her facial expressions and smile as in laughter and all of that. But, you know, I know there's a lot going on in her mind. I know there's a lot spinning in her heart that she, she can't get out. You're around her more than anybody. What do you, what do you think that if she could get it out and, she could speak light to everybody listening, her friends, her family, church, the audience here. What what might she say? I think the first thing she'd say is, I want my voice back. And the yeah. reason she'd say that, anybody that knows my wife knows how not only well-spoken she is, well-versed in, uh, in the Bible, uh, how much she loves the Lord. Those things have been affected mm. through this. And... Uh, you know, if I if I were looking for scripture, I would ask her, where would I find that? And she'd tell me, and she had a much better knowledge of it than I ever had. And that is no longer there. That's not able to be communicated. Now, whether it's there or not, I don't know, but mm. I think there is some memory that's been affected there. Uh, but we don't know. Right. Uh, even the simple thing like, uh, honey, do you feel any pain? Uh, she'll say no. She's always said no. Most stroke victims have pain after the stroke. Uh, She might have a little neuropathy, and we've just discovered that within the last month or so. But to be able to clearly communicate would be, hey, this is what I want to do. I want my voice back. Yeah. Wow. And like I said earlier, it's just, it's difficult for everybody that knew her and how just eloquent she was and, and just how easy she was with her words and praying for you and speaking over you and reading scripture, teaching, I mean, remarkable teacher. Um, you know, I often, you know, I've shared this with you, but I, I have dreams about your wife a lot. 
and I've probably had six or seven of them where every time it's her either in church watching me preach or the one specific dream I've had is her praying over me and laying hands upon me and standing behind me with her hands on my shoulder and just praying one of her usual beautiful prayers that has anointed me time and time again throughout the years. And I just, I think that day's coming and it may not ever be the same as it was, but I know those words are in there. And when I pray for her now, I feel the spirit of God on her Mm. and, you know, um, but I mean, through all of this and through all maybe what's inside of her, do you still sense her faith and love of the Lord oh, through all of it? absolutely. How does absolutely. she portray that? Well, to start with, during the, the morning, yeah. like I said, we read our books in the morning, yeah. that if I'm behind, if I'm doing <laughs> something, as if I'm reading an article on my phone or something, <laughs> she will get the book and bring it over and hand it to me. <laughs> So yeah, of course she will. (laughs) Those things don't change. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Wow. Just remarkable. Well, and I want to kind of end this part of the conversation with just a, maybe some personal, just, I don't know the words advice, but maybe just a reflection for people listening that are in marriage right now. You know, you, you've been married 47 years and you would have, Never known this was coming. A massive stroke that's going to basically almost take your wife from you, per se. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times in our lives, even in my marriage, and we get so caught up on petty, stupid stuff that allows our marriages to just crumble and we get a divorce or we fight or we don't talk to each other. And so, what have you, I mean, what have you learned about your love for your wife through this? I mean, I know that's a really broad question, but I just think that in a world today where marriage seems so quick to dismiss and walk away from, here you are, sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. Talk to us about that. Well, that's exactly right. It's it's a covenant of marriage. And if we enter into a covenant, we say those very words that we love each other in sickness and in health. And that that really means something. I mean, it's not something we can run away from. Mm. But not only was I blessed to have this woman in my life for 47 years, but 46 of those years were just, they're not all easy. I mean, yeah, had the good with the bad. We went through a period of time that we, we fought a lot of enemies in the process and Hmm. we had divisions and we had all the other stuff that marriages have, but we are best of friends through all of it. Wow. And today I would be totally lost without this woman in my life because that's what she means to me. That hadn't changed at all. If anything, it's increased. Now there was a time and I shared this with my daughter that I came home from the hospital and, uh, with her aphasia, she didn't know my name. Wow. I was pretty sure she knew who I was, but she couldn't say my name. Wow. Well, there's still days today where she does not know my name. She cannot recall my name. Mm. Now, you think that won't hurt you for 47 years? But does it really matter? Because I'm here yeah. with her, and she's here with me. 
So my daughter said, well, what do we do about that? That's if she doesn't recognize me or not. I said, look, if she doesn't know who I am, she fell in love with me once. She's going to fall in love with me again. <laughs> that is a great strategy. I like it. And that's what we've been working on ever yeah. since. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. That's good. I like that. You have to kind of start over. Yeah. Introduce yeah. yourself, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. Well, is there anything as we bring that part of the talk to an end, uh, is there anything else about Annette or anything about this whole last year that you would just share with us that's on your heart to bring some life or encouragement? Yeah. And this is similar to, you know, a, a little over a year ago, Daniel had the table talk at church, which was kind of cool because first I got to ask him questions and he got, then he asked me questions. But, yeah. Uh, it reminds me of that because we closed that segment with the simple statement, never give up. Mm. Things will always get better because we know what is in store for us yeah. as Christians, as lovers of Jesus Christ. We know what that end is. Keep your eye on the prize and never give up. That's good. I love it. Well, Tom, there's no uh, secret here uh, from anybody that knows you. Um, you know, you've often said it uh, these last, you know, probably 12 years or so, you've, you've really developed a love for prophecy and God's word and just knowing things about the end times and what's next for us in this world. Um, you've often said that Jesus was really bad for your golf game. <laughs> so your, your hobby of golf was kind of flipped over uh, to a hobby becoming the love for God's word. And so, and especially you know, around prophecy and end times discussion. And so I want to take a, a little bit of a turn here with that and just give you a moment to chat about where we're at today. I, I don't think there's any doubt that there's a lot of just uncertainty out there with our world today. I, I know that uh, I say this a lot, but there's not one of us in this this listing right now that we woke up tomorrow morning and we saw the world had fallen apart, that we'd be surprised by it mm -hmm. just because of how shaky everything feels and how uncertain things feel. And so um, I just want to kind of open that up. And um, you often say uh, a great statement. You say, keep looking up. Mm -hmm. That's kind of your mantra. That's yeah. kind of your tagline. Keep looking up. Maybe we'll start there. And, and what does that statement mean to you when you say keep looking up? Well, actually, Daniel, I think that's a command from the Lord. Yeah. Maybe you'll find it in, in Luke, I think maybe chapter 21, where it says, when all these things come to pass, look up for your redemption is nigh. Mm. And that he's coming for us and he's coming for us soon. And I do get excited about prophecy. <laughs> yeah. I've always been excited about prophecy. And I think that goes back to the simple fact that the Lord will meet you wherever you are. And for me to get reborn into his word, the prophecy drew me in. Mm. And I started looking at that years ago. And uh, I think we need to be real careful about prophecy. Uh, and I want to start off before I share anything that whatever I say that might be an opinion is just an opinion. But what counts is God's word. Right. And we got to look at that and say, okay, if this is prophetic, how do we know? And the only way we can verify that is through his word. 
So if he says something in his word, he's got verification in another place in his word. So it's up to each one of us to dig into that right. and find out what the answer is. Right. Good. Well, so, you know, let's just start here. Um, I think one of the the biggest things that's, to me, showing the, the volatility of this world today is what's happening in the church mm-hmm. as Absolutely. a whole, you know, and Absolutely. maybe it's part of the the process of labor <laughs> and delivery. I don't know. Uh, I'll let you speak to that. But I sense just overall, just based upon things that I read and I study and the the news that I try to keep up on, that there is no doubt that there is a steady decline away from Christianity and a falling away to some degree where um, we know that church attendance overall in the United States has tumbled. Um, you look at, uh, you know, back, I think it's 1972, you know, 90, 90, over 90% of people in the United States would say that they were Christian mm-hmm. in 1972. Mm-hmm. Here we are in 2023, and that number is hovering, you know, 29 points lower than that mm-hmm. at 63%. And, and most of those people that say they're Christians right now in 2023, they're not, it's made a lot of its name. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just what I say I am, but I'm not, I'm not going to church. I'm not belonging anywhere. I'm not sharing my faith. I, and so it's a, it's very nominal. Um, so let's talk about that. Where, where does the church fit in all this? And why, first of all, why do you think that these, you know, the attendance and, and the identity to Christ as a Christian is, is declining? Mm, good question. Actually, I think it goes back further than what you had just addressed. I think it goes back into the, uh, I think it was in the 60s when we removed prayer from school. Mm-hmm. And we started conditioning children at that time that this isn't important. And if you look at the scripture, you, you recall the story about the strong man that was thrown out of the house. And when the house was vacant, seven more came in. Mm, yeah. That we threw God out of the schools. And we have allowed over the years for all these false gods to come into the educational system. And when we do that, we literally lose our children. And now that generation Mm. is where we are today. Uh, And yes, again, his word tells us that there will be a great falling away before these things come. And We've all heard it before. Everybody had an idea. Oh, it's coming. It's the end times. The rapture's here right. and all this stuff. And we get to a point where we just kind of shove it aside and don't even talk about it. Right. And I think that's what's happening in churches today, mm-hmm. that this is not a primary subject from the pulpit. People don't want to deal with it. They don't understand it, yeah. uh, particularly the book of Revelation. It's very seldom that from the pulpit you'll hear a good sermon on yeah. Revelation. So we look at that. We look at a falling away. We look at an understanding of truth. Now, when we talk about truth, we live in a generation today where they believe they have their own truth. Now, what is your own truth? Right. Your truth is that you could say you're a tree. And yeah, you say you're a tree. That's your truth. That's just nonsense. It's absolute lunacy. But it exists today because we have allowed those other false gods into our life, particularly the false god of me. uh, Oh, man. The I generation. 
it's all about me. If it feels good, do it. All of these things that are just totally misunderstood today. Yeah. Uh, and they're misunderstood because we're not participating mm. in our Christianity in yeah. a way we should be. And I would say it feels like the, you know, the highest you know, moral level that I think the world, particularly in North America, the highest level of moral reach you can have is that you are, uh, you're happy. Yeah. You know, like it's all about, you know, what you're like, your truth, you're happy, what brings you pleasure, what, you know, and even if it means expending other people and it's all about you all the time. And there's no doubt that that to me is like the, the number one way that we are showing that we are a very non-Christian society in mm -hmm. that way, because, you know, the scriptures are clear, whether Christians act like it or not, this is not about us. Right. You know, this is, you know, you might be listening to this today and you're not a Christian or you're an atheist or agnostic, whatever, but you know, the, the Bible teaches us that this is a, not about us, that we are to become less and less and he's become greater and greater. So when we act like contrary to that, it's not acting Christian, you right. know? And so, I would say that in our world today, self is the most elevated God. Mm -hmm. It's all about me. And I think that because of that, you've seen um, the ingredient there for a church to decline as well. Absolutely. Because people don't think they need a community. They mm -hmm. don't think that they need a, a, a purpose outside of themselves, you know, to belong to something bigger than them. And I think that's a factor too. Any thoughts on that? Well, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that once we get off, with the attitude that whatever makes us happy, do it mm. regardless of what it does or means to others. There is a decline in morality that exists yeah. that we don't have the basis for that today. If we're not allowing prayer in schools, we're not allowing God in education. We're not allowing the things that made us so great as Christians. Mm. And we also have a burden on the churches today. And I don't know where this comes from, but it seems like the bigger they build, the more money we got to borrow, the more we got to tap on the people coming to church for money. And that becomes more of the focus than God's word. Yeah. And then churches turn to entertainment instead of education. Yeah. And that is a, I think, one of the big reasons we're seeing the sure. fall away. Sure. Well, and I would say as well, you know, in the, the mind of the church, like, we have to, and I'm saying this as a pastor, we have to change our messaging to some degree in the sense that um, I believe that in the, you know, the arena of ideas in the world today that we, as Christians, we we have the, the best and the greatest ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we offer hope and we offer truth. We offer love. We offer the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to think as a church, how do we get that message to a secular world that is number one, very skeptical mm -hmm. and very, very much um, maybe almost sometimes repulsed by it. Right. You know, and, and so the church is kind of in a, a hard place right now. I, I believe because we are in this world that's all about self and all about, I'm going to do what I want to do. And very, very, to me, almost standoffish towards Christianity. So how, how do you think the church can, can speak to that skepticism, can show the light, you know, the life and the love of Christ to others in a, in a world that's maybe even turned off by it. 
Well, another good question. <laughs> Not uh, on my notes, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> but we think about that, and and that in order to reflect who we really are as Christians. It's not me going out and beating somebody over the head saying, you need to do this, this, and this. I'm not the Christian police. I got to be the example. And the only way I can be the example is to show the love for everyone, including my enemies. Now, you're talking about a challenge. That's always been a challenge for me. But, you know, I'm starting to understand that more and more. It's not the person it's what they're following. Mm. And if we recognize that and, and just know that they're following the enemy, they're on the wrong trail, and that trail leads to death and destruction, mm. man, we got something to talk about. We do. Because Absolutely. our trail leads to life mm. and not only temporary, but everlasting. Wow. Well said. I and mean, that's great. I mean, I, I think that we have to be humbly confident in our message. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have any arrogance about us. We don't have any pride about us as Christians, but we can be humbly confident about the hope that we can share with other people. And I just think that the days are over, in my opinion, of the church thinking that we can just sit on our corners in our in our buildings and think that people are just going to come to us and, and just show up. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that Christians have an incredible opportunity during this era in our history to talk into the skepticism, to speak life into those people that doubt our message and do it in a way that is humble and authentic, because that's really all people want. I think that, and it's been well said by a lot of pastors, but most people that aren't Christians, when they're looking at what we're doing and what we say we're about, they want to know one thing. They want to know whether or not it works. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's the skeptic's thing is, does it work? Does it make a difference? And and I believe it does. I, I believe that the message of Christ the, and and the forgiveness and the, the fresh start, the new life that Jesus gives us is the greatest message that anybody could ever hear, you know? And I just believe people want to hear it from authentic hearts with no arrogance, with no pride, with no judgment. And I think that's what the world is hungering for. I agree 100%. And I think also, and I, again, I'm going to brag on Daniel a little bit. <laughs> we're seeing we're seeing the growth of his church. In Not a way, my church, but oh, well, Christ's church. In Christ's church. <laughs> we're seeing growth today where many churches are seeing uh, just a lot of people falling away. Mm. Uh, now, why is that? Well, I can tell you from experience. When Daniel gives a message, he gives a message straight from the book, straight from God's Word. And he constantly reminds us that we are under God's Word. Mm. We're not over it. We're under it. And to be under it means we follow it. Yeah. Amen. And I do believe I've had it. I've had those conversations with people that have that have been new to uh, to to my church and our church and. And the conversation is always kind of goes back to we're, we just want to come to a church that preaches the Bible. Mm-hmm. And when they say that to me, I, I'm always a little shocked because to me, that just seems like the bare minimum. Yeah. Isn't that what they all do? <laughs> yeah, that's what, they're, <laughs> what you're supposed to do. And I, and I, don't, I don't really ever get into that with them because I, I don't really want to 
you know, I'm, I'm not about, you know, bashing any other church or whatever, but it's just like, I just hate it when people say that to me because I wish that was the case for all of us that we, we were under God's word. But I do think they're in that atmosphere of I'm going to find my truth and I'm going to do what's good for me. I, I do think there is an undercurrent that is still there of people wanting to know what the real truth is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is where Christianity can really lay some roots with authenticity, with humility and speak life into that, that undercurrent that's there. Any other thoughts on the well, church I think, at all? I think we must do that, Daniel. I think we must do a much better job of that than we've done in the past. And we need to start today. Yeah. Because this age of grace is coming to a close real soon. And whether we believe it or we don't believe it, yeah. it's coming to a close real soon. Well, what happens after that? Yeah. Uh, well, it tells you if you study it. Yeah. And it's. Is it scary? Well, it shouldn't be scary because if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know what the reward is, and yeah. it's great. Amen. I've read the book. We win. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's 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 go there with some maybe some specifics here today. You know, um, what are what are some things that you know to someone? Let's just pretend that someone's listening to this right now. They don't know anything really at all about prophecy or when you say rapture end times or whatever, it just, it's one of those things where they don't really know even what to make of those words, but what, what are some things that people can just be on the lookout for? And maybe that's the, you know, you say, keep looking up and what are people, what should people be maybe expecting or be tuned into? Well, to start with, if you read Matthew chapter 24, and you go sobering th- chapter, by the way, of the Bible. You go through those those middle verses. They read like today's headline in a newspaper. Mm. Everything that Jesus promised would happen before that day is happening mm. and has happened. So, once again, keep looking up because that day is arriving. Now, I am a pre-trib guy, meaning that uh, we were not meant for judgment through the final week of Daniel, which is Revelation, that seven-year period. Mm. The most horrible time on earth, the Bible tells us that. So what do we do to prepare for that? Well, I think it's important that we keep looking. Uh, There's, And I'm horrible about addresses in the Bible, but the story about... uh, the master of the house, uh, not paying attention. Right. Uh, the master didn't come back when he thought he would, so he's getting drunk. He's being abusive, uh, and suddenly the master arrives. Well, we don't know that day or that hour, but if we look at Scripture and we look at certain timelines in Scripture, we get an idea of when it might be. So there's a lot of scholarly studies on this that yeah. are opinions, and they're just opinions. But if we use some basic logic and some real simple math here, uh, and we look at the first scripture that carries a lot of weight, uh, which is about, uh, let's see if I can find that. I wrote that down here, Daniel. It's about uh, in Second Peter uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 8. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing. 
that the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Mm. Now we take that to heart. What does that really mean? We start looking at it. Well, God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. Those were seven actual days. He was talking about sun and he's talking about day. He was talking about night. But if we look at it in perspective of the lifespan of mankind, and we look at it over a 7,000-year period, starting with Adam and going to Christ, uh, his uh, death on the cross, and going forward from there, all scholars would tell you we are in the end part of the 6,000th year. Mm. So we think about that. The day said a thousand years, so we're in the sixth day. Well, what does that mean? If we look at Scripture, we look at the the death of our Lord. Uh, nobody knows for sure. There's a lot of argument about it. It could be 30 A.D. could be as far out as 33 A.D. When he was crucified. When he was crucified on the cross. So if we take the furthest date, 33 A.D., and we go forward two days, excuse me, 2,000 years, that comes to 2,033. Okay, well, that's not too far off. I mean, you know, what are we talking about, 10 years? 10 years. That's 10 years. Okay, but we got that last week of Daniel, which is the book of Revelation. We got, oh, we got to take seven years off that. So we take seven years off that, and that gets us to 2026. Mm. Wait a minute. We're getting pretty close here. (laughs) But what if we're wrong about his crucifixion date? What if it's what so many scholars believe was 30 A.D.? Mm. That puts us at 2023. Yeah. So I'm just saying, keep looking up. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think that we are on the horizon of closing out the age of grace. Mm. And why do I believe the age of grace is 2,000 years? Well, again, there's many references in the Bible about that. In Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Okay. For behold, in those days and that time, when I bring back the captive of Judah and Jerusalem, will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, And I will enter into judgment with them on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided my land. Well, actually, to get the context of this, I have to go back. Basically, we have two days, uh, and two days is as a thousand years. Even in the context of what Jesus was telling the disciples, and I know you'll think, well, that's just off the charts because (laughs) that was actually what happened. Yes, Jesus died, he was buried, and he was resurrected, and he told his disciples that I will be resurrected, I will be back in three days. Mm. Well, when we end the 2,000-year period, we begin the third day. Right. He will be back. Mm. Day three. There's many, many scriptures that verify this, even to the point that, and we have to read a little into it because I believe there's a purpose for everything that's in the Bible, that even when Jesus met with the Samaritan woman at the well, does anybody want to take a guess how long he stayed in Samaria? (laughs) 
He stayed there for two days. Yeah. And why did he stay there for two days? The Gentiles were the ones that ended up being the Christians of today, and the Gentiles have been with their Christianity for two days, for 2,000 years. Mm. The Samaritans were like Gentiles. They were labeled Gentiles. Right. They were enemies of the Jews. So we're living in the fig tree generation. Now, I'm going to go on here with just from memory. But You're good. The fig tree generation, if you remember that parable, Jesus walked by and touched the fig tree, and all the figs died and the tree withered. Well, the symbol, the, the symbol of that is the Jewish people, that he came for the Jews originally. They did not accept him. They did not accept his message. The figs did not produce any fruit. Mm. Now, if we look at Matthew and the story of the figs, and it talks about when the branches are coming back mm. and the leaves are coming back, that fig tree's been dead for 2,000 years. Wow. And that it is beginning to grow back. Mm. And it started in 1948 when Israel became a nation. And incidentally, that's prophetic. It's happened in one day. Mm. I think it was in uh, May of uh, 48, 1948. Yeah. So that brings up another point. And then I'm going to just kind of divert it back to you because <laughs> I'm great. rambling. No, here, but, you're great, brother. So it brings up another point of a generation because Jesus said, I, I promise you this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Well, what is a generation? Well, if we look, to Scripture, once again, a generation in Psalms 90, verse 10, it says, The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet they boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Mm. So that's kind of our definition of a generation right now. Well, Israel was born in a day, 1948. That would make Israel 75 years old this year. Right. Now, if, if Israel's 75 years old and we add seven years, which is that last week. Yeah. Wow, we're up in the 80s. Yeah. I think it could be close. That's just my <laughs> opinion. Well, and that, I think it's just you're doing the math, and and I'll have to go back and and – myself and listen to all the numbers, but they make sense and they add up. And I, I love the fact that, you know, you're not over here predicting particular dates because we're not, we're told not to do that, but your heart is, is just to be ready, That's you know? It. And That's but I, I think that I guess one of my specific questions, just what, is there anything in particular in the next several years that you just think we need to be on the lookout for as believers? Well, I think we need to, be on the lookout for the day we're taken out of the way. Yeah. Uh, and I go to Thessalonians for that. I don't, yeah. I don't have the scripture in front sure. of me, but that's exactly what it says. The restrainer is taken out of the way. Mm. Now, I know for many years when I was learning prophecy and digging into it and interested in it, I want to know who the Antichrist was. Yeah. Who is this guy? Yeah. You know, who's he going to be? Is he alive today? Is he on earth? I don't care about that today. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because I don't believe we'll know 
that day until it happens at the temple, which it says in Daniel, yeah. that the abomination of desolation. Well, we're going to be out of here, I hope. Yeah. I hope I'm going to be looking down from the mezzanine when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> the mezzanine. That's good. Well, and I think it's it goes without saying just, you know, to everybody that there's contrary beliefs to everything that Tom is saying. There's There's books written that are, you know, so thick and heavy in regards to all of these things. Um, none of us are experts and people that claim that they're experts, you know, I mean, I'm sure they might be to some degree, but no one really can truly nail any of this thing down. But my heart um, is that there's just a sense of preparedness, you know, and, and that no matter what happens and how this rolls out, you know, when Christ comes back and whether you're pre-trib or post-trib or whatever language we want to use um, or whatever verses we might know in the Bible, it's just to be ready regardless. And I, I do think that a lot of times we just don't even think about it. Right. I we don't, agree. we don't even think about it. I don't, I don't spend enough time in my daily life thinking about the fact that the return of Christ is imminent and it's promised. Yes. And, and I think if I did that more, it would probably change a lot of the decisions <laughs> that I make on a daily basis yeah. to have some urgency about my life that how I live on a day-to-day basis matters because my time here is going to come to an end. No one gets out of here alive. Nobody <laughs> gets out of here alive. No, so, no. And, and if you're left behind, it's, it's not the end of all ends because I, I still believe in my heart that there is a great salvation that will take place from those, those days as well. But can you imagine what this world would be like? I mean, what it's like today mm. and what's happening in this world. But if you take all the Christians out, you take out all those where the Holy Spirit dwells, yeah. the restrainer has been removed. Right. Wow. I don't want to be here. Uh, I mean, personally, I just don't want to be here. Yeah. Uh, but if we are here, the urgency of the message is mm. today, not yeah. then. That's good. Yeah. Today. Today. Not then. Not, That's good. Not, not then. Wow. What's uh final question about that? I mean, what do you any other things that you would say to believers to just get their hearts ready and prepare for these things? I mean, what what other advice? Stay watchful. Yeah. Uh and and prophecy is if if you really know the word of God and you follow it, then you recognize prophecy. You recognize what's happening. All right, one of the things we haven't talked about is the Ezekiel 37 is the Valley of Dry Bones. Well, that's when Israel got resurrected and became a nation, and they've continued to grow since then and have, I think, the fourth strongest military in the world. I mean, there is... There's a lot to be said for that prophecy. You can look back at Scripture and say, oh, that's the day that happened. Right. Now, if you go forward from that, the next chapter is the Gog and Magog War. Mm-hmm. Well, go figure. We have the three main players listed in the first verse of Ezekiel 38. That is already lined up. That is already being prepared. Will it happen before the seven-year period starts? Will it happen after? I don't know. Yeah. But when it happens, I'll be able to recognize it. Yeah. Now, it's only horizon. I know that. I just feel that's getting closer and closer every day. And the things that are going on internationally with Israel, uh, with 
uh, Iraq, with Iran. It's it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Because we're seeing prophecy unfold. Yeah. And when we see it unfold, it kind of gets our attention more and more that, man, we got to be getting close. That's right. It's on the horizon. It's a great way to look at it. You know, I'm going to, in the show notes that we have for our talk today, I'm going to link to some articles and things that are important to Tom and his studies and uh, maybe even a couple videos as well, scriptures. Uh, I know we said a lot of them today. We'll make sure you have those um, so you can go do your own homework and research it yourself. I know Tom is really big about you go and look on this Absolutely. these things yourself and yeah. don't just take my word for it. You know, go and find it out yourself. Well, Tom, I just um, I just want you to know that um, – we're, we're so grateful for your time. And, uh, I think we could probably talk for five hours. I think we could, but no one, no one would listen to us. So, but, um, and I think we can plan on having, having you on again down the road, because I think there's so much more you could say about the, um, these, these crazy times Yeah, and crazy time and encourage sure. us because I think at the end of it all, we want to just be encouraged and not live in fear and not be full of anxiety, but just be prepared. And I think that's the point behind it all. And frankly, I think that's the one of the larger points that the church is missing. Why are we not encouraging one another with these things? That's exactly what Paul said. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do is Amen. encourage one another with what's coming. Because what's coming is eternal. Mm. What we have is temporary. And we don't spend enough time thinking about that. Yeah. I know I don't. Amen. Well, and I think there's a beautiful way to close that with the thought of everything we've talked about today, going back to your wife. Everything that she's going through is temporary. Temporary. Everything you've gone through with her and your life here on this earth is you just in a it, your body's an old tent. You're gonna That's it. It's temporary. It's gonna go away and there'll be a permanent home for all of this. And um I believe that with all my heart. And so, Tom, I just love you so much. And I'm just thankful for your heart and your time. And we're all grateful and um, can't wait till we can do this again. Absolutely. It's all been right. an honor. Thank you. Dan. Thank you, brother. Well, wasn't that wonderful? I am so thankful that Tom Williams joined me on the show. And I just asked that you would think about someone in your life that might need to hear what Tom had to say and maybe text this out to them. Let them know this show is available for them. And Maybe it'll just make a huge difference in their lives. Thank you so much for being with me today. And as always, it's been an honor to be a small part of your life. And until next time, as Tom said, keep looking up. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Life and Leadership with Daniel Kitchell. We hope that you're with us again next time as we connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow.